Okay, we're in a series called Know Thyself. Socrates was supposedly, they never have figured out whether Socrates or Plato, but they both get credit for it. It, it, At least Mark Twain didn't say it. Uh, But uh, either Plato or Socrates said, man, know thyself. I don't know exactly what he was thinking about, but I know it's a theme throughout the scripture. Throughout the scripture, there's this theme of self-examination. There's this theme, you know, what's repentance all about? Repentance is really about self-awareness. It's about becoming self-aware. And uh, today we're going to take it a step further, and we're going we're to talk about the, the power and the, the necessity of including other people in this project of knowing yourself. And we're calling it the power of know and grow relationships. And I'm, uh, I'm imagining someone listening to podcasts would think I'm saying N-O, and so they would say the power of know, grow relationships. And then they, they're probably thinking that's mostly what I have my life, but uh, no, it's K-N-O-W, for those that are listening to the podcast, it's K-N-O-W, the power of know and grow relationships. This is a sermon about giving feedback and receiving feedback. Can everybody say feedback? Feedback. Uh, Many celebrities, you know, have lent their image to the uh, 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 Wheaties cereal and they always say Wheaties is the breakfast of champions. But somebody said a few years ago, that feedback is the breakfast of champions. I believe that's more, uh, I believe feedback has produced more champions than Wheaties. Actually, I believe that. Perhaps you heard about the guy who was known to pride himself in, uh, in being a self-made man. Uh, near the end of his life, he was overheard to say, uh, I was a self-made man, but if I had to do over again, I would have gotten some help. Laugh there. <laughs> Good. You were good. That's good. No one is better at demonstrating the power of feedback and the power of knowing great relationships than Jesus. You know? And I know some of you think you would have liked to have hung out with Jesus and that would have been the best ever. But walking around with Jesus was a constant performance review. Jesus gave performance reviews constantly. And... uh, so maybe you wouldn't have liked it so much. Maybe I wouldn't have liked it so much. Um, Matthew 17, though, is a, a story. I could pick out many stories, but I picked out one where Jesus gives his disciples feedback. Feedback that had incredible results. And I, like, Hang in with me for a minute, I'll show you. Because I didn't even realize it until I, until I did a little research. I didn't realize what power this feedback actually had in their lives. Matthew 17, verse 14 says, At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Jesus said, You faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, Why couldn't we cast out the demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth. If you had faith, he kind of rubs it in, right? (laughs) You really don't have faith. If you had faith... As small as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and, I, and, and, and nothing would be impossible. It would move and nothing would be impossible. 
I, I want to jump over just a quick verse uh, that spoke to me about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. And that's, of course, the love chapter. But it's also a chapter about eternity. And Paul mentions what eternity is going to be like compared to now. He said, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Now notice that there's a couple of observations there. First of all, this observation that I don't see clearly right now. I don't see myself clearly. I don't see others clearly. I don't see clearly right now. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully. But, but then notice the last, the last part of that sentence. I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And I got to thinking about that. I think Paul is telling me, because the context, the context is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. The context is the community of faith. The context is the church. Is it possible that Paul is saying the cumulative knowledge of the people that I'm supposed to be worshiping with and doing life with, the, the cumulative knowledge and awareness they have of me? He said, I'm fully known. I, in eternity, I'm going to know the way I'm fully known. The cumulative knowledge of the people that, are, that I'm doing life with is equal to what we will know in eternity. So, if, that, if I'm correct, there's this huge untapped power of self-disclosure and feedback with one another that perhaps we haven't fully realized. Now, uh, if, you, if you dislike uh, transparency, and I suppose all we, we all do sometimes, uh, it, it could be that you, it, like all of us, not could be, it's positive that you've had bad experiences with it. You, you shared part of your story and you then people talked behind your back and you heard about it in negative ways, perhaps. Uh, I remember sharing something painful with a guy one time. We were riding in the car and he stopped talking to me and didn't talk to me the rest of the ride. And he didn't want to hear it, I guess. I, I never could figure that one out. And I didn't, I, I, probably, I probably ventured out too far because I didn't even know him well enough to say, why aren't you talking to me now? So you may have had one of those experiences, but if you eliminate everything in your life that you've had a negative experience with, if you eliminate everything in your life that has, has, has difficulties associated with it, then perhaps you should not go out in the sun because some people go in the sun too much and they get skin cancer. And, and perhaps you shouldn't live in a house that wires for electricity because uh, a lot of people's houses, the wiring shorts out and burns their house down. So maybe you shouldn't. And maybe you shouldn't eat lunch because a lot of people today are going to die of food poisoning somewhere in the world. So... That could be, it could be your number. I mean, it could be that lettuce that you're going to order at the restaurant today that could have the tomain poison in it. So maybe you should, no, that's crazy. You don't stop doing things because it went wrong somewhere in your life or because it could go wrong. No, but you've got to look at, you got to look at cost, cost, risk, cost, benefit. And the benefit is so great. In fact, uh, without feedback, we are less than what we could be. That is a fact. Matthew chapter 17, verse 16, I brought them to the disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Now, I got to thinking as I was reading this uh, earlier in the week, and I got to thinking, I wonder what, if that conversation helped. I never had thought of that before. I'd read that story many times. But I wonder if that conversation did any good. And I decided to go to the other Gospels and see if the story, and I found it, the same story was in Luke chapter 9. 
The same story is in Luke chapter 9, almost verbatim. And that, I thought, that's cool. So I decided to read on, and I read over into ch chapter 10. And I saw where Jesus sent the disciples out, and they went out in chapter 10, right after they had had this moment of, of constructive feedback. They go out, and guess what they, guess what they did in chapter 10? Some of you are ahead of me. You're ahead of me, aren't you? You know what they did? Yes. They went out in chapter 10. Not only did they just like heal people of like a little migraine. They cast out demons. And heal people who were afflicted by demons. In fact, if you read it, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, just like you said, even the demons, we went and worked on our lack of faith. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. At the same time, Jesus was filled with joy, says a few verses later, of the Holy Spirit. And he goes along. He, he, Jesus was so excited, he dare not let them know how excited he was, I guess, because he went with the Father. He said, Father, I thank you for hiding these things from them who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Then... Go down a couple more verses. It says, and then they were alone. When they were alone, he returned to the disciples and said, Blessed are the eyes that, that see what you have seen. I tell you, many prophets and kings long to see what you see, but they didn't see and they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. See, Jesus didn't just give them the negative feedback. He gave them positive feedback. He, he was louder and bolder with the positive feedback than he was with the negative feedback. I mean, they were like high five, and they were like, the, they were like the Patriots Thursday night in the locker room after the game, man. They were, yes, yes, we, we killed them tonight, yeah. Healthy and positive feedback won't always be positive, but it will always have positive results. Jesus wasn't playing a power game, friends. He was illustrating an empowering process. Empowering game, you don't, you're always careful what you say because you know it could disempower you with that person. He comes into our lives to make us better. Everybody say better. better. Comes into our lives to make us better. Remember, your life doesn't get better by chance. It gets better by change. The one thing we've all got to do to get better is change. And there's no real change, so there's real change. Uh, I'm going to invite, uh, since you don't, obviously, you probably don't, not obviously, I shouldn't say it that way. You might not believe me. So I'm going to bring some help up here. Uh, Miriam Santos, would you come, and you're going to help me illustrate this point. Um, there's, a little, uh, there's a little device I used. I don't know where I picked it up. I think I got it from a psychologist named Richard Dobbins, who we used to go here when I was a young pastor. And I'm not a young pastor anymore, by the way. I don't know if you knew that, but I'm an old pastor now. And uh, uh, I got the arthritis to prove it. Uh, but uh, uh, I, this little device, that I, I use it in premarital counseling. If you've been to me for premarital counseling, we use this device. So uh, I know, so Miriam's going to explain it to you better than I can explain it. And there's a reason for that. You're with the U.S. Navy. Tell us your name, rank, and serial number. Well, I'm not going to tell you my serial number. But no, don't tell me serial number. I just, I just think that's what they say in the movies, you know? So I am Senior Chief Santos, and I work at the Senior Enlisted Academy in Newport, Rhode Island. I teach leadership to all different branches of the military and foreign nationals. So I teach leadership to 
E7 and above. And this concept is one of the topics that we go through at the Senior Enlisted Academy. It's called the Jahari Window. I'm going to briefly explain the name Jahari and where it came from. It came from Joseph Luff and Harry Ingram. They just kind of merged their names together and made the Jahari window. And what we use at the Senior Enlisted Academy is Management of Organizational Behavior. It's a book by Hersey Blanchard and Johnson. And there are several different other versions of the Jahari window, but that's particularly what we use. So the importance of the Jahari window is that it's used to help you see, it's kind of like a window, where you're on one side of the window and everyone else is on the other side of the window looking at you through that window. And there's these four different panes on how people observe you. I'm gonna quickly go through the different panes. There's the public window, the blind, the facade, and the unknown. Ideally, you wanna think about growing that public window. And you do that through shrinking the blind, the facade, and then the unknown. And that's where that free flow of information goes back and forth. So an example of the public window is things that I know about myself and you know about me. So, when I get up in the morning, I'm not always in the best mood until I have my first cup of coffee. And I have told my family this, they're well aware that if mom hasn't had her first cup of coffee, it may not be the right time to ask her all of my strange questions and things <laughs> that my children like to come to me and talk to me about. So that's something that I know and everybody else knows. An example of the blind would be if I am talking with someone and I have a booger on my face. I don't know, I have a booger on my face, but the other people can see the booger on my face. So that would be an example of the blind. It's a blind spot, something I don't know about myself, but everybody else knows and can see. And an example of the facade would be something that I know, but I'm not disclosing it and you don't know. So something about myself, say I have been planning to do Thanksgiving with all of my friends and we, we're talking about it, we're excited about Thanksgiving, and then I find out that my family is coming into town so I'm not going to be able to spend Thanksgiving with my friends and I'm going to be spending it with my family. But when I'm around my friends and we're talking about Thanksgiving, I have in the back of my head, um, I'm really not going to be able to spend Thanksgiving with you because I'm going to go and be with my family. So that would be the facade. So the way that you grow these, the public window is through disclosure and feedback. So when somebody lets me know that I have the booger on my face, and I hopefully will remove the booger <laughs> off of my face, that would be as if they gave me feedback and then I took that feedback and made a positive change, unless you like boogers on faces. And then, <laughs> as far as the facade, when I'm around all my friends and we're talking about Thanksgiving, I disclose that, I'm sorry everyone, I'm not gonna be able to spend Thanksgiving with you because I'm gonna go and spend Thanksgiving with my family. So that would be disclosing, disclosing information, and that decreases that facade. People know you a little bit more, they, they understand the situation. You're disclosing something about yourself. The unknown is the area that no one knows. You don't know, other people don't know about you, and that can be thought of as the subconscious. Things maybe from your childhood or in your past that are affecting you today that you may not be aware of, or things that are 
in the future something that's going to happen that other people don't know and you don't know about yourself. So that's pretty much a brief synopsis of the Jahari window and we use this in leadership because it's good to grow that public window because as you're decreasing the blind and the facade, that's where you have more of an impact and influence on people around you. It, for a better word, it humanizes you to, so you're not just one person up here. You know, it helps humanize you. So that's one of the reasons we use it at the Senior Enlisted Academy. That's really good. Would you just go a little deeper with that? Why is that important? And I think you, you answered it. Maybe you give us a little more. Why is that important? I mean, see, we believe that all Christians are leaders. And, and we believe that one of, the, one of the areas where the church needs to grow, and we all, when most pastors think about church growth, it's all numerical. But the church needs to grow qualitatively. And the only way the church is according, and I'm going to read the scripture in a minute from Ephesians chapter 4, the only way the church grows in quality, in becoming more like the image of Christ, is when every believer functions. The church was not designed for only pastors to function and only a few leaders at the top to function. Now, that's, that's what we created. We created this professionalism of the clergy. But it wasn't ever God's plan. If you read Ephesians 4, by that which every joint supplies. So we, we, believe, we try to tell them, you're all leaders. Everybody's a leader. So, so you're taking men and women who will be officers in Coast Guard, Navy, I don't know, you, you do uh, Marines as well, or just... Yeah, we do Marines. Yeah. I mean, we all imagine what these people are like and what they're having to do. Why is this so important to, for them to know about uh, personal growth and building relationships and, and, and enlarging their public window? Well, as far as the military is concerned, the reason this concept is beneficial in the military because it helps people want to follow you. And if you're not humanized per se and you don't disclose things about yourself, you have a big facade up, people aren't going to want to follow you into battle. They're not going to trust you. They're not going to believe you. So that's why these concepts are important. And in any individual, it's very beneficial to think about this and think about taking feedback and becoming better and disclosing things about yourself. Not everything, obviously. You're not going to disclose everything about yourself, but things that right. are pertinent. That, With the boogers on your face. Yeah, you and should, other examples told, of right? disclosing <laughs> could be things like past struggles. If somebody's talking to you about depression and you maybe are really struggling with depression, and that could be something that helps you have more influence in someone else because you have something that you can disclose about yourself. That's powerful. That's really good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's give her a hand. And what an opportunity, what an opportunity we have in this room to become this. We, uh, I don't think there's a, a, ter a single organization in the community that has a greater opportunity to become agents of change as the church does. We have multi-generations, and I'll get into that in a minute. Now, one thing I want to just briefly touch on is verbal abuse, gaslighting, Manipulation, nagging, whining is not feedback. It's either destructive dominance or simply the overflow of anxiety, fear, unhappiness, or insecurity in another person. People who can't celebrate or high-five when we cast out the demons 
do not deserve to be your source of feedback. I said, people who cannot celebrate your successes. God wants to put people into your life who are good for you and people who want the best for you. And that's the people. Now, you can, you can learn from everybody. I understand that. But, but Jesus was really a reliable source of feedback because he was the one who was going to turn the kingdom over to the disciples and he was the one who was there to high-five them when they cast out the demons and they healed people and he was delighted with their success. I pray that God will put people around you who are delighted with your success because that's the, that's the best thing. That's the best thing that can happen to you, humanly speaking, is when you have people around you who are delighted in your success and, 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 and you're, you're also delighted in their success. And that's kind of how it starts. So, Mary, that was fantastic. Thank you. Christ followers, let's say this. Christ followers are best positioned people in society. I kind of already said it, didn't I? Christ followers are the best positioned people in society for know and grow relationships. We believe in unconditional love. We aspire to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. We are taught the intrinsic worth and high value and untapped potential of every single person in our lives. And finally, Christian doctrine teaches the clear path to becoming more than we presently are. Ephesians 4.15, the one I alluded to, the scripture I alluded to while Miriam and I were talking, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped when, when each part is working properly. Boy, that, I want you to circle that in your mind. Each part is working properly. We so need in the church world for every part to begin to work properly. We need every part to begin to work properly. And, and I'll, I'll try to wrap up with, with kind of explaining to you kind of how I think we can start to do this in a, before I close in a few minutes. Tim Keller said it this way, and he just kind of, I, I love the way Tim Keller expresses himself almost any time he expresses himself. And, but I thought he capsuled, captured Ephesians 4.15 and uh, how this process can work. Love without truth, he said, is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, keeps us in denial about its, our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness and about who we are, and yet also radical unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and grace. Spiritual friendship is eagerly helping one another know, serve, love, and resemble God in deeper and deeper ways. The only way we can help each other resemble God in deeper and deeper ways is being obedient when the Holy Spirit nudges us to offer someone constructive feedback infused with His love and without a trace of judgment. Um, I write a little piece every week called The Weekly Wisdom. And uh, uh, recently I'm, I'm sitting with uh, Jeremy Smith, as some of you know. And Jeremy's a professional writer, uh, was a journalist, and now works for New Balance with their interior com internal communication. And suddenly the thought occurred to me, because I'm always, I'd always write this thing, and then I would, 
No matter how many times I would read it, I wouldn't see the mistakes until I'd already sent it out. And then it would just make me crazy. I saw these mistakes and things poorly worded. And so I turned to him. We're sitting in a community group. I said, would you start editing my piece for me? He said, I'd be glad to. And he has this amazing thing that he does. Every week I send him the piece, and he'll send me this lengthy text message telling me how much he likes the piece. He'll use words like awesome, fantastic. And then he proceeds to change and correct it. <laughs> Last week he got rid of a whole sentence. It really offended me. He got rid of a whole sentence he didn't like. But it's so much better. I'm getting much better feedback from the people that read it because I've got this person who's who cares for me and cares for what I do and thinks what I do is pretty good and yet he's my own board critic. <laughs> caution. Now let me give you a caution because this can feel like a huge burden of guilt. This can, this can feel crushing. That I've got to become this transparent person who gives and receives feedback. And I've come to this church and I don't even know anybody here. And I've been coming here two years and I haven't asked anybody. There, some of us are like that. Some of us could go to a church for two or three years and we don't know one single person in the church or one single thing about them. I want you to know I'm not here to put this heavy burden upon you that you can't handle. The, the, first of all, let's say this. The Christian religion is unique because it's grace-based. From start to finish, you're accepted before you're qualified. And hurry up and get with it is seldom the process that grace works with. Like the, like the disciples. You know, we're like the disciples. We are products. We are products that go to market with glaring operational glitches. Remember your first computer? Remember all the glitches? The first phone? The first time you, first time you ever downloaded software? It never worked right, did it? That's the way I am. I'm not qualified to be a pastor. God just chose me. God stuck me in this position. I wasn't qualified. I, I better hurry. I'm nearing the end of the race. I better... I've got, I need some feedback. <laughs> so, this is grace. This is a house full of sinners saved by grace. And that includes me. Growing into my salvation has to be organic. It can't be manufactured. There's no assembly line for creating Christians. You can go off, to, you can go off and get your PhD in divinity and ministry and all of that stuff. But you can't go off and get your PhD in love and patience and joy and peace. It, it's, it's like Jesus, one of Jesus' favorite metaphors was fruit. It's like growing a crop in your life. So I want you to relax. I want you to relax. First of all, or secondly of all, you aren't living in the first century. The first century, modernity has has privatized everything and, and has separated us from one another to a huge, huge extent. The first century 
the first century, they, they, they didn't have cities like we do now. They didn't have metropolises. They had these communities where you had one market. If you went to market, you had this one place that everybody went to the same market. If, if there's any place that sold things like fabric or clothing, it was one little shop downtown. And all, all the women went to the river to wash clothes where they would go wash clothes and talk about their husbands and, and their children. <laughs> I mean... You, you, and also you lived in this same little village your entire life, and you'd probably five or six generations that lived in this village, so everybody knew what your grandfather was like, and they were just holding their breath to see if you were going to be like your grandfather. Get, my, get, my, get the picture? Being transparent was pretty natural. God knows we are not that. Some of you, some of you, are, some of you are in your car going to Boston or someplace or Waltham to work, you're in your car nearly three hours a day, and you get home at 7 o'clock, 6.37, 7.30, all you can think about is putting something in the microwave and getting something in your stomach, getting on your sweatpants, and maybe getting to veg out if the kids aren't too crazy, getting to veg out for an hour and fall back asleep and do it all again tomorrow. You have very little margin in your life for community. It's a big problem. But God's equal to the problem. We have to start where we are. You've got to be willing. Here's the deal. And every time I'm talking about something like this, in fact, a lot of things I talk about, I know that I'm putting a heavy, when, I know that I'm putting a heavy burden on people that they're going to feel crushed beneath and they're going to feel guilty and they're going to feel frightened and all kinds of things like that. But the Bible talks about things being line upon line, precept upon precept. The Bible talks about a lot, a lot, a lot about incremental growth. So I want you to, I want you to picture in your mind, you remember the old-fashioned thermostats, the old Honeywell that, you, that had a dial on it? I want you to just picture God's call to you on your life to community. God is calling you to community. God is calling you to connection. God is calling you to self-disclosure and feedback. God is calling you to tell your story. God is calling you to learn other people's story. But you don't crank that thing from 50 degrees to 70. Just crank it up 2 degrees, 3 degrees, 4 degrees. For some of you, if you would just go meet one person and hear their story and tell them your story, that would be huge. That would be high five, applied, way to go. And that's what God is saying to you today. He's not saying... Radically change. We talk so much in the church about radical transformation. Listen, you can go from living in the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light just like that. You can go from being a person bound for hell to a person bound for heaven just like that. You can go from having no faith to having faith just like that. You can go from having no personal Savior to having Jesus Christ as your personal Savior like that. You can flip a switch. And go from being out of God's kingdom, in God's kingdom. And I hope if you're here today and you haven't met, flipped that switch today, I can get you to flip that switch. But when it comes to growing together as people, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And God understands that. And if you will, what I want you to do today is I want to, some of you, I want to change your heart. I want you to change your attitude about connection, community, caring. And feedback. So, so the scripture is very clear. We walk together, not run or sprint. We walk. Um, and 
So here's what I want you to do. I want you to try to become a little less defensive. A little better at listening. A little more interested in other people. And a little less likely to interrupt somebody when they're talking to tell them your story that's better than theirs. This room right here has the potential to closely resemble Jesus. Remember what we always say around here. None of us have it all together, but together we have it all. What we always talk about around at Bethany is the personality of Jesus was distributed to all of us. None of us have all of the personality of Jesus, but we all have a piece of his personality. And we all have a piece of his power. And we all have a piece of his brilliance. But none of us have all of his brilliance. But together we have all of his brilliance. Together we are the body of Christ. So, this room right here has the potential to closely resemble Jesus. That just like Jesus cast out the demon and healed the boy, we can cast out the demons and heal the boy. And I want it to be, I want us to so closely resemble Jesus that no one will ever be able to go to God and say, I brought my brokenness to that church. I brought my brokenness to that church, but they couldn't heal me. I don't want them to be able to say that. And I don't want my Savior to have to say, yeah, they can't heal people because they don't have enough blank, faith, love, concern, patience, commitment to one another. In the disciples' case, it was faith. Would you ask God to supply what's missing in your life to make you a healer and a change agent and make you better for yourself so you can be better for others. That's my message today. So, maybe you're here today, and you can't go from 40 to 70, 50 to 70, with being this loving, transparent, connected person. But you do need to go from 50 to 70 as one who is a child of God. And I have good news for you. That option is waiting on you right now. Remember, you're called before you're qualified. You're saved before you're worthy of it. He makes you worthy. He makes you worthy by His grace and by a process that He will put you into if you will humble yourself before Him that will have amazing results in your life. Like the gentleman's warehouse commercial. You're going to like the way you look. <laughs> Let's stand. I want to just pray for anyone who hasn't received Christ before Christy comes and closes us out. Anyone who hasn't flipped that switch to go from being a follower of Christ. I don't know about you, but when I look at the world around me, uh, I don't... I enjoy many things about the world around me. But more and more it's becoming clear to me that there are two separate kingdoms. More and more it's becoming clear to me that there's a kingdom of this world that will never be all it should be. And it will always have chaos. It's always had chaos. It always have, will have social, economic, political chaos. But there's a kingdom. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's a kingdom, and that's what Jesus invited us to. So I want to pray this prayer that if you will choose to pray it with me, 
you will come into the kingdom of God and begin this wonderful journey of entering in and connecting with some fantastic know and grow relationships. Father, I come before you right now. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit, I admit that I'm in need of grace. I admit, God, that I have fallen and, and, and am still in a free fall away from what is right and what is good and what is best. And I ask you, O oh God, to rescue me in the power of your name and apply the blood of the cross to my life and forgive me of my sins and make me a child of God and, a, and open the kingdom of God to me. In Jesus' name, amen. I love this message. I love it so much. And I, you can be seated. I think for my husband and I, this is something that this topic is something that's really important to us. And from an early, we started dating when we were in high school and we have always, always believed in giving each other a lot of feedback. And, and in a, you know, to the, in about things that don't just affect each other. Like, hey, I think the way you talk to that person was rude. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, and, and we, we really have, yeah, you know, and we've gotten a lot better at it. We used to probably be mean to each other, and then we used to also get real offended and have silent treatments when someone gave you feedback, and just insanity. And I've really watched, though, that God has, we've gotten so much better at it over time where if, you know, give a little feedback and maybe you don't feel great about it, but we're okay within a few minutes and have really learned to trust each other that this is the person who knows me best. He loves me the most or she loves me the most and I can trust them. And so they don't always get it right, but we don't have to shut down our whole house every time he tells me that he didn't like something I did or I should have done something different. And, and it's something we're really trying to model for our kids too. And I picked up my kids from youth group the other night. I won't give the details because I don't want to embarrass them. But my son said to my daughter, hey, this thing that you did at youth group, I thought it was this, this, and this, and you should have done this, this, and this. And he was kind of mean the way he said it, but he was probably right. And she was very offended and very mad. And I had a moment to say to them, like, okay, God, this is so important. We're not just going to say right now you're being mean. To, to my son. We're not just going to say right now to my daughter, you're being too defensive. You're both going to learn about this process. You need to say it in a different way, and you need to be open to hear. And so I hope that if you have little kids or just in your homes, you guys start to practice this. It's so, so, so important to learn to be humble, to accept feedback, and to learn to be loving, to speak truth and love um, to the people around you. I just love this message. It's so good.